Well, good morning. I want to welcome you again to Central, where we seek transformation of our lives and our communities and the whole world through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been studying Paul's letter to the Galatians this spring, and we've been talking about freedom. Past couple of months, that word, that concept has come up again and again. And sometimes, if we hear the gospel clearly, the gospel of the free grace of the Lord Jesus, sometimes people reply, well, why should I obey? If God's commands and obeying them don't earn me God's favor, they don't create standing in my life together with God, then why should I obey Him? Why should I obey God rather than doing exactly what I want? The Apostle Paul teaches us today that we obey God because He has set us free. Let's pray as we turn our attention to God's Word. Father, we ask by the power of your Spirit you would open our eyes that we would behold Christ here. Strengthen us as your followers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love." You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another." The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. What is a group of self-interested, self-congratulating, self-advancing people sound like? The Apostle Paul would say here in verse 15, it sounds a lot like a pack of wild animals devouring each other. That's what it sounds like when our selfishness takes root in a community, people biting and destroying one another. That's what Paul says in verse 15. Have you ever heard a pack of wild animals? Missy and I used to live in Arizona, and occasionally I would go on hikes out in the desert and would hear on surrounding peaks packs of coyotes fighting having some, some animal, and they would want to be the first one to get to the kill, and they would begin to bite and devour and attack one another. And that growl, that, that bark of these coyotes is scary. Sometimes it left me wondering, am I next? <laughs> am I next on their list? 
Apostle Paul would ask us here at the end of this text in verse 15, is that the sound of freedom in your life? If the sound of our freedoms are used for our flesh rather than enabling us to love and serve one another, then the freedoms in our lives are used to bite and devour others, bring destruction into our lives. Whenever I think about my life with, through the lens of my advancement, my comfort, my, 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 that's the point of life given to me by God, it begins to take on a specific flavor of biting and devouring. And if we see that in our own community, we see the biting, the critiques, the attacks on one another, what might that say about us? And the apostle would say that our freedoms that we've been given are pointed in the wrong direction. We can't have a community where everyone insists on being first. It's not a pretty picture. It's not a pretty picture when we use all our freedoms for self And so working our way backwards from that verse in verse 15, that the biting and devouring each other, how do we not wind up in that place? How do we not have our selfishness take root and lead us to attack one another and appear no different from the world around us in division and biting and climbing over one another using freedoms for my own advancement? Paul says the answer that we need is to see what we've been freed from and to see what we've been freed to do. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has set us free from our sin, and it set us free to enable us to love one another, free from our sin and free to love one another. That's the purpose of the freedom God brings into our lives. Let's look at those two in this text this morning. First, we've been given freedom from our sin. Now, when we Americans begin to talk about freedom, we get very clear ideas in our minds. We think about the Bill of Rights, we think about freedom of speech, freedom of the press, and all other hard-won such freedoms. And sometimes it's easy for that freedom to take on a particular translation in our hearts and our minds, as Phil Riken says it, it's that we want the freedom to be left alone. It's the highest virtue sometimes in our lives. I want to be left alone. I want to be free to do what I want, with whom I want, wherever I want. But that's not how the Bible talks about freedom. Verse 1, Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. He points us to that objective event. Christ did something. He set us free so that we experience something else, that we experience freedom. He did something for us. He set us free in order that we can live in a certain way, freedom in Christ. The Bible talks a lot about, the first four chapters of this book talk about the freedoms from what God has, he's freed us from what enslaved us. He talks about our sin and our selfishness enslave us. Our death enslaves us. That God's perfect law demands our obedience and enslaves us. But Paul says, Jesus has set us free of all of that. And he roots it in that objective work of Jesus. What he did on the cross and in the resurrection, we have freedom from sin because Jesus bore our guilt. He bore our sin on the cross. He defeated it and washed us clean. He removed our guilt and by the power of the resurrection, he's removing the corruption of sin in our lives. He's changing us. Jesus was raised from the dead in victory over sin and guilt and death. And now you and I walking today in 2022 are set free. We're set free from our sin because of what Jesus has done. 
not by attempting to set ourselves free by being good enough for God. In verse six, Paul reminds us that we're united to Christ because of what Jesus has done and it's the circumcision or uncircumcision count for nothing. You might remember we're getting back into this book of Galatians that there were some Christians from Jerusalem that came and began to teach in the church in Galatia and they taught this. If you wanna have the favor of God, if you wanna have the approval of God, you need to believe in Jesus the Messiah plus add your own obedience. If you really want to know that you have God's smile on your heart, God's smile in your life, then you need Jesus plus your obedience. You need to have circumcision. You need to follow the dietary laws. All 613 laws in the Old Testament, you must follow them all. But Paul says no. Circumcision or uncircumcision counts for nothing. For if our relationship with God begins with what we do, We're starting in the wrong place. Our acceptance with God begins with what Christ has done. It's not with what we do or if we've done enough for God, but what Christ has done. For if you want to be justified, if you want to have favor of God by following the law and being obedient, Paul says in verse three, you gotta keep all of it. If you want to have standing with God by being good enough for God, strap in because you've gotta do it all perfectly. But none of us can because we're sinful, we're broken. There are parts of our lives that are enslaved to sin. We can't ever be good enough for God. We can't ever gain his favor by being obedient enough. Our favor of God comes from what Christ has done. We've been united to him through faith and now Jesus' work, Jesus' perfect obedience is counted as ours. And Jesus' sacrificial life is given to us to cleanse us from all of our sin. Paul takes us back to that concept he's talked about a number of times, that idea of justification to orient our hearts toward hope. You might remember from studying chapters 2 and 3 and 4 that justification is an act of God where he declares us not guilty not guilty of our sin because of what Christ has done, but also he declares us completely and perfectly righteous in his sight because we're joined to Jesus by faith. That justification declares that it is just as if we'd never sinned and just as if we'd always obeyed because we're joined together to Jesus. It gives us hope. It gives us hope that that justification is given to us and that work of Christ is applied to us by his spirit. It's already happened. If you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the cross and the resurrection, you are washed clean. And yet Paul says that there's something that feels just out there. At verse six, I'm sorry, verse five. He says, we eagerly wait for that hope of righteousness. We know that the power of sin has been broken in our lives and yet we eagerly await for that hope of righteousness. We eagerly wait for that last day when Jesus will return and make everything right. He will bring everything to renewal and yet living right now, there's tension. There's tension between what is true of me now that I'm cleansed in the sight of God and yet I don't do what I want to do. I still feel in the grip of that sin. 
I still am not living in the way that God wants me to, to live. I'm not yet who he will make me into being. Do you hear that already and not yet language of this, these verses here, verses four and five, when you put them together? In Christ, you're not guilty any longer, and yet none of us are who we shall be. Martin Luther put it this way, that we are simultaneously justified and a sinner. We've been forgiven and set free from our sin, and yet we still sin, and that introduces tension in our lives. It's hard to live with. It'd be hard to live with personally when there are things about our hearts and things about our lives that we hate. It's sin and selfishness, things about our lives that need to be fixed and changed, and yet they don't seem to be changing in me. And we begin to feel upset and we are disappointed. We may be even caught in despair because there are things about my life that they still have power in me. There are addictions or there are, there are sin habits that, that have grasp of my life. And I can't seem to break free of them all. And if we focus on that, what's not yet true of me, we're led into despair. Sometimes we adopt that same posture and project it onto other people. Demand of them today what will only be true fully when the Lord comes back. For example, sometimes we so want to be loved by our spouse, we so want to be loved by our children or by our friends or our, our church family, we so want to be loved as God calls us to be loved and yet we demand to be loved perfectly right now. Can any of you identify with that? I know none of us would say it that way. But when we feel like we are deserving, when we are owed a certain depth of love and we don't get it, what happens in our hearts? We seethe. We allow contempt to breed in our souls. We, we get bitter because I deserve better. Sometimes it's hard to live in that tension of what's already true of me. The sin has been, uh, has been broken. Its power has been broken and canceled. And yet I still am not living the way God calls me to live. Tension is hard to live with. And yet God calls us to a longer view here. God calls us to a place where we realize that we live in the not yet. We live in a space where God has not yet made right every wrong. He's not yet fully transformed us in the way that he will on the last day. And when we focus our eyes on that last day, on what's coming, on the righteousness, the hope of righteousness that is coming that will fully, completely take over my life when we put our hopes there, then it leads us along to treat one another with love, to live with one another with, with hope because Jesus gave his life to seal that promise. If we, in our marriages, our homes, our church family, when, when love and kindness does come, when, when we see justice take root in this world, we don't have to rail against it because it's not complete. We don't need to be, be caught in disappointment because I'm not loved as well as I want, someone is not as kind to me as I desire, and justice isn't all that it shall be. Don't rail against it, but instead, be grateful that that love that comes from your spouse, even as failing as it might be, it's a taste of what's to come. It's a taste of the perfection that God is bringing into this world. Set your hearts and your minds on that hope of righteousness that is to come and let it pull you along in hope in this world. It's a little bit like 
going to an ice cream parlor and getting a sample. Ever go to an ice cream store and you ask, can I have a sample of that that cherry's jubilee, I really like that flavor. And they pull out their spoon, the little wooden spoon, and they dip it in there and they give you a taste and taste that ice cream. It tastes so wonderful and it gives you a desire for the full cone, right? That taste whets your appetite for the more that is to come. And what Paul would say here is when people treat you with love and kindness and gentleness, when people treat you as Christ calls them to, let that be like a taste in your heart. Let it be something that that pulls you along into more fullness of that love and kindness and justice that will reign one day. Let that love from your spouse, fleeting and failing as it is, let it be something that pulls you along to a fuller love when you're made completely right in Jesus. When you experience kindness from another person, even though it's not perfect, even though it's not exactly how you would want it to be expressed, and yet if kindness is there, let that pull you along in hope for the righteousness that is to come. Let it be like a little sample of what Jesus is coming to do. When he returns again and he's triumphed over every evil and he brings perfect, complete righteousness to take root in this world long for and live for that hope that Jesus will bring because he's freed you today to live with hope. He's broken the power of sin in your life in order to enable you to live with hope of more to come in his last day. The power of Christ has given us freedom from our sin, but it calls for a response Freedom has a direction to it, and we've been freed not only from our sin, but we have been freed in order to love one another. We've been freed from that slavery to our selfishness and sinful nature so that, as verse 13 says, we are free to, through love, serve one another. We're free from our sin in order to lay down our lives in sacrificial love for one another. That's the purpose of freedom in your life. We aren't to experience and indulge our freedom by doing whatever we want, whenever we want, with whomever we want. But rather, the power of sin is broken in our lives so that we follow in the footsteps of Jesus as he sacrificially serves us. So he frees us up to sacrificially serve one another. When that takes root in a church, rather than a den of jackals biting and devouring each other, that freedom is put to work, sacrificing for one another, thinking of the good of someone else, rather than all the things that I have lost. Maybe that's where this truth pinches us this morning, to ask, how do I use the freedom that I've been given by Jesus? What am I willing to sacrifice in my everyday life in order to pursue Jesus' purpose of me loving someone else. That's the essence of this verse, that Christian faith. We've been given so much by Christ that we are able to give ourselves away. We are able to serve others rather than be served by them. It's the purpose, Paul says, of the freedom we've been given in our lives. Are you willing to use your freedom in that way? to lay aside some right that you have 
in order to love someone, in order to serve someone else. Think about it in your work life. There may be a blessing, there may be something you're entitled to, an honor or a privilege or even a position in your working life. And yet in love for a fellow employee, it may be best for you to set aside, to forego that honor or privilege or position in order to love or serve someone else. Are you willing? Are you willing to think of others better than you think of yourself? Paul asks in a different place. Certainly true in our families. We are all the time given opportunities to lay aside that quest for myself in order to love other members of my family. Are you willing to lay aside your personal comfort and take risks in order to serve or love someone in need around you? Think about the way you use your time. Are we willing to use our time not consuming all of it for self, but are we willing to use our time to, in order to gift the gift of time to someone in need? I think in our world, perhaps time is our most precious commodity. Are we willing to use it for someone else's sake rather than my sake? I think I can say this is true, that our level of spiritual maturity is best seen when we don't get what we want. That's when we can really see where we are, what's spiritual maturity in our lives, what does it look like? We best see it, we have the best venue on our spiritual maturity when we don't get what we want, when we have to sacrifice, when we have to bear with someone, someone else, when we have to love them at a cost to ourselves. How do you respond when you're not given something that you really want? Do you respond with a sacrificial love that is willing to bear up that loss? Or do you insist on having your own way? Our spiritual maturity looks like not getting what we want and still sacrificing in love. And you know what? It's not possible. (laughs) It's not possible for me. It's not possible for you. The only way that that's possible in our lives is for the love of Christ to set us free. The love of Christ to set us free from our selfishness, set us free from our sin and move us towards sacrificial love for someone else. It's the secret of spiritual maturity, moving on from focusing on myself to a focus on Jesus. And by the Spirit's power, as he enables us to have the eyes of our hearts focused on Jesus, it frees us to serve another as Jesus so deeply and graciously serves us. That's what spiritual maturity looks like. Turning away from a focus on me to looking to Christ and having a life that is transformed to be more like Christ's life in sacrifice and love for one another. We've been freed from our sin so that we could be free to love one another. Let me close with this. We'll go back to the pack animals but this time not on the trail. This time let's go visit a high school lunchroom. It can feel a whole lot like a pack of wild animals in a high school lunchroom, can it? So that was my experience in high school. Maybe it's different now. <laughs> go back to that lunchroom and imagine the, the segregation of all the tables at lunch. Remember you have the 
athletes have a table and the nerds have a table, the socially awkward have a table, the, the theater kids have a table. Everybody has their own table and everybody inside that lunchroom knows that these tables are ranked. Everybody understands which are the better tables, where are the more popular places to sit and which are the leftover tables for the leftover people. And that, that social pecking order is ruthlessly maintained in the high school lunchroom by shaming one another, ruthlessly ridiculing each other, making sure everybody knows that you stay in your place. It's the way it is in a high school lunchroom. But imagine Jesus setting people free in that room. What would it look like to have that freedom from the pack animal setting in the high school lunchroom? Imagine the Apostle Paul walking into that lunchroom and I think we could all agree that the Apostle Paul probably fits best at the socially awkward table. That's probably where he would be placed when he was in high school. Well, what about this freedom from our sin and freedom to give himself away in love? What if the Apostle Paul walked into that high school lunchroom and thought less about himself? And he gets up and goes and sits down at the table with the nerds. But even better, if he goes around to every table and invites every kind of kid to think less about themselves, think less about where I fit, think less about what gifts I have, what strengths, what talents, think less about how to use their freedom to advance themselves and more about one another. What would happen in that lunchroom? You'd see tables of all kinds of kids sitting there, not focused on their rank, not focused on the pecking order in the room, but a community would be built on sacrificial love. It's only Jesus who can do that. It's only Jesus who can transform ruthlessly selfish animals like you and me in a lunchroom into a people willing to lay aside self-advancement and self-concern in order to become a servant, to take the place of a servant of someone else. It's only the spirit of Jesus who can do that, and that's exactly what he has for you and for me. Are you willing to get up from your table? and sit down in another place that you might lovingly sacrifice for someone else. That's the freedom you've been given. Let's pray. Father, we ask that by the power of your spirit, you would shape us in this direction. And you would free us from the power of our sin, the grip of our sin, the, the pull of our selfishness and wanting to do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want. And Lord, instead, make us servants of Christ, freed from our sin and freed to love one another, sacrificially following after your footsteps and your loving service of us. Do that and transform us into a community of sacrificial love at Central, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.